1: Welcome to week 18 of Solo Ship. Um scroll Patrol. I'm joined by to uh, Nowin from One Week Season. Jam, week 18 is upon us. Uh, I think you said last week it's like playing a different sport. <laughs> um it, it's like preseason NFL guys are at risk of playing like a, just a, a half of the game, um playing just a quarter. Uh it's a very news driven slate. Um it, How do you approach week 18? Do you like week 18 versus the other, other weeks?
2: Yeah, Um, you're right. A very news driven approach is a great, great way to say it. I just finished recording the angles podcast. And I was talking about like this week more than any other Wait, You can wait until Saturday night, Sunday morning to set your final player pool a because of news B because of ownership. Like, because we, we saw it this year with like everybody flocking to Zach Moss against Tennessee or everybody flocking to Josh Kelly against Tennessee. When the backup is in, Everyone wants to play them and take advantage of that, but then this is the week where it's like a bunch of backups are in, so everybody wants to do that. You get this really condensed chalk. I don't say that it's all bad, but then you get this very common roster construction approach where like who is there to pay up for running back? Right, so everybody's kind of in the six K range at running back on DraftKings or or play, wanting to play Jordan Mason or Pierre Strong, which then's like that forces you to pay up for Justin Jefferson and Ceedee Lamb, and everybody's gonna have this same roster right and so it's like there you can look at ownership projections on on every week in the last week of the season you can look at ownership projections on Sunday morning and look at the bottom and just be like oh wow this guy can put up he's expensive and he can put up 40 points or this guy's cheap and he can put up 20 points right and it's like you can find pieces like that obviously uh, we're all assuming that Eli Mitchell isn't playing because everyone wants Jordan Mason we're all assuming that Kareem Hunt and and um Jerome Ford are not playing because everyone wants Pierre Strong um we're assuming that Jamar Chase is playing, but like the Bengals have nothing to play for. They could put him on IR tomorrow and and just get him rested because he's banged up. So yeah, I mean, just a lot to like, don't try to make your decisions early this week. And I think that, yeah, the people tend to lean too heavily into the the perceived value, but that doesn't mean that it's not good value. It's just that like people are going to lean too heavily into it when we need to recognize also that backups aren't necessarily going to put up a, the type of game that a starter would in a particular spot.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I was, I was looking at Christian Kirk is only 3000 on DraftKings. It's like a mispricing by DraftKings, but there's a pile of 3000 wide receivers <laughs> <laughs> because we might get a bunch of backups. Um, so it's like, what a week could be horrendously mispriced <laughs> because, yeah, um, you know, he's I mean, he's probably the most talented of the wide receivers. That's at 3000. Uh, but yeah, we, we have a bunch of backups can be coming in. And the difficult thing is that, there's just so much uncertainty. So week 18 actually, or the last week of the NFL season, has historically been my most profitable, like, just on the back of, like, it was it was my first six-figure win in NFL. It was a, a week uh, week 17, you know, last week of the season. Um, but it always feels like we kind of have decided going into Sunday what's going to happen, right? Like, oh, these guys need these contract incentives. Like, this team needs to win, so it's going to win. This team needs to lose, you know, so it's going to lose. And then everything goes awry. Um, I, there's so many times, I think there was a year, a few years ago where there was like three teams that if they won, they were in, um, and just in order, those teams lost (laughs) like, so that it came down to like a fourth team, like out of the four teams, um, the one that needed the most help actually made it in because the other three teams that were playing, you know, opponents that had nothing to play for the opponents that had nothing to play for actually won. And so everything can get like turned on its head. Um, I just looking at the week, there's a bunch of games that have like a high thirties to mid forties total, um, with and a lot a bunch of games where the home team is a three-point favorite or so. And most weeks I treat like you know, FL lines like they're gospel. Uh this week it just tells me that like Vegas has no idea what's gonna happen, right? Like like every game's gonna score potentially around you know 40 points and the home team should be favored by three points. basically we don't know really who's going to play for how long, whether it's a series, a quarter a half. Um, So it makes it a very difficult week to approach.
2: Yeah. One of the things I said on the angles pod was if anybody wants to, they can watch the game. They can watch the Steelers Ravens game on Saturday. And then the Texans Colts game on Saturday. And there will be so many things that happen in those games, like production wise and game flow wise, people are like, Oh, I didn't see that coming. And then, it's like at midnight, everyone just wipes th- their mind clean and they're just like, okay, but on Sunday with 13 games, everything's going to play out exactly the way I expect. And then on a week like this where there is there are so many moving parts and there is uncertainty, uh, there is like even greater benefit to saying, oh, how could things go awry? Like what could go differently? And so it is crazy to me, you know, on these we, – we have these games on Saturday, the day before Sunday and you get to watch the game and just say like – Oh man! Like this production, I didn't see this production coming. I didn't see this production coming. Oh, I thought this guy would have a huge game, and he didn't. And then it's like you—everyone ha- heads into Sunday, and they just forget that that just happened, and then that's going to happen again on Sunday. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't surprise me to hear you say this has been your most, one of your most profitable weeks because it is. Again, it's like a different sport, but everybody else is like going to lean even further into the mistakes that they typically make. Uh, and so, what you want to be doing is kind of saying, "How do I leverage?" the mistakes that everybody else is is going to be making and kind of maximize my chance of a first place finish.
1: Yeah, it so it's interesting because I think I make that mistake too. And it's it's funny. The NFL really did add a bunch of like Saturday slates this week almost like taunt us into making the same mistake within 24 hours. Um, but it is like I will look at a slate sometimes, even you know the afternoon or for an NBA slate or um you know all week for an NFL slate or, a, or UFC slate and say like, okay, I know the projection is gonna be this, but because of this information that I have in my head or I've observed that that projection is you know, way more fragile than it appears on the computer screen, right? Then when I go to make like 150 lineups, like it's really difficult to get away from the projection. And like when you change the projection, you feel like you're breaking something like, oh, like this is like all data and science says that like this should be the projection. Like I feel really nervous about like changing this projection like you should just go change the projection. Like, we have no idea how long some of these guys are gonna play. Like, just 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 type in a different number. <laughs> it's fine. You know? funny it's
2: funny because my problem is the opposite. Like, I will I'm so willing to ignore projections that sometimes I'm like I get too boxed into like, well, I think this is gonna happen. So then I'm like way overweight on something that's pretty low likelihood, you know? But uh, yeah, that's I mean, you gotta find that balance on this on this week in particular because Um, And there are I mean, there's a lot of certainty here in terms of not in terms of how games are going to play out, but like who's going to play the majority of games. And there's also, you know, one of the things I think is important to recognize that I think people probably overlook still is like you can't rest all your starters. You know what I mean? Like you have a 53 man roster, 45 guys are going to be active on game day. Typically, forty-four of those players have a role. Everyone except the the backup quarterback, and so you know you got eight offensive linemen, nine offensive linemen. So if you rest some of those guys, that's some of your backups right there. You got a rotation on the defensive line that you have to do to keep players fresh, and um, so there's only so many. You know you're going to have the inactives, and then maybe three or four guys who are active and and just stay on the sidelines. But generally speaking, you still need you know you got about thirty starters on offense and defense if you kind of count it all up between uh, the key rotations and whatnot. Uh, so you got about 30 starters between offense and defense. You have the puncher, the kicker, the backup quarterback, you know, that leaves you like 12 backup players who are rotating in most of them have key roles. So yeah, I mean, you, even with this, like, like that's why the Bengals are implied for 22.25 where Jake Browning and let's say Jamar chase plays T Higgins plays like they've been pretty good when, when Jake Browning's had really good shots to play, but it's like, well, the Browns aren't going to be the Browns defense, but they're still going to have a lot of good players out there, you know? So I think that's something people need to think about as well is, um, is is yeah like how much can like how many starters are really resting what does that really mean it doesn't mean what it means in the preseason so yeah I mean it's just such a strange week and and we only get it once a year so that learning curve is somewhat steep if this is your second or third year in DFS because you don't have 10 years of experience playing this week and kind of seeing how uh how it plays out and all the mistakes people make so um yeah I guess that's what, that's what we're here for
1: yeah no actually I think that is a really important distinction between this week and the preseason because it feels very similar and there are some similar aspects but the roster size is actually a major component where in the preseason you're like shuttling guys in and out for a series to get a look at them um and that's fine like they can come out of the game um and you know sit on the bench and we and there's like 90 other guys <laughs> that, you know that, that can all you know that're still on the roster um this week there are like roster limitations um so teams can't do that like wholesale changes um you know, like like we might be kind of envisioning in our heads. Um, it's, uh, it, I think two places of of perceived certainty will probably be Dallas and Philadelphia. Um, and, and I think they're the highest projected owned quarterbacks. I think, you know, you already mentioned CD Lamb. Like CD Lamb was the first player that I thought of when I looked at the slate. And I saw Dallas is was playing Washington. Um, and I, I, it, it maybe draws an important distinction between single entry and like mass multi-entry Like 150 lineups. Um, I actually do think I'm probably more likely to like lean into like Dallas and Philadelphia in single entry and maybe in multi-entry just let myself go a little bit nuts and like spread out a little bit more than I do usually with 150 lineups. Um, Any thoughts on on Dallas and Philadelphia and if they're kind of worthy of being like the highest concentration of ownership? I
2: actually, I actually have some concerns about the Eagles um, because one of the, I mean, how likely is it that the Cowboys – lose to Washington uh, on, on like step one, step two, the Cowboys have eight wins this year of 20 plus points. So it's like, when uh, I think oh, like blowout potential is typically overblown. People are like, oh, this team could be blowing them out in the, the third quarter. And so the other team, you know, that's, that's kind of scoreboard watching sits guys because of that, like the Cowboys actually blow teams out. And then the, one of the real reasons to kind of play your starters in the not meaningless week 17 games or week 18 games, but more meaningless is to keep momentum going. Whereas the Eagles have no momentum and would be like it might not hurt them to say, "Hey, let's get some guys healthy, let's reset and get ready for the playoffs." Where we're probably the five seed no matter what. Um, and then on the flip side of that, what I also look at is like, what's the downside if I'm wrong? Um, Jalen Hurts has one separator score all year at his price tag one. And that was that overtime game against the Bills. And he wouldn't have that if if Josh Allen and Gabe Davis had connected on the touchdown. Uh, A.J. Brown has two separator scores. By separator, I just mean, like, scores that you're like, man, like, maybe you could still win without it. But you're like, God, I really could have used that score. Um, A.J. Brown has two. Dallas Goddard has one. So it's not like the 49ers who have produced, like, 14 to 16 separator scores um, or the Rams who have produced double-digit separator scores. Like, the Eagles have produced four it doesn't like scare me that much if I'm wrong and they play the full game because like what I miss out on probably isn't something I had to have. So to me, I'm actually seeing them as one that I'll play some Goddard and AJ Brown in MME and not on tighter builds. Um, But yeah, I mean, I I agree with you on Dallas. I think that the Eagles one is a very interesting one just because I I could see like Nick Sirianni, how he approaches things. I could see him actually being like, you know what? Like we're going to play these guys for half. We're going to sit them after halftime because they don't really need this game. And probably the Cowboys are going to be leading, you know, by 17 points at halftime. And um, yeah, I think that's an interesting one.
1: I think that's actually really good insight Uh, that actually Dallas probably is much safer. Um, They do have the higher implied point total. I think it's the highest on the week. Um, One thing I've been looking at with Jalen Hurts, one of my writing up quarterbacks for my article is if you took away his rushing touchdowns, he's basically Russell Wilson on, on the year. Um, and those rushing touchdowns are not like you know the long, you know, 15 yard, 20 yard rushing touchdown where he breaks free. They're they're the push-push, you know, brotherly shove one-yard touchdowns. And like, how often can the Eagles running backs and wide receivers like run out of bounds at the one-yard line? <laughs> like, how often <laughs> can they get stopped at the one? I and mean, it just happened like an incredibly disproportionate amount of time, it felt like. Um, and like last week we saw, I mean, he still put up, I think, 20 points. But like he needs a lot at his salary yeah, to yeah. appreciate himself, and he didn't get the rushing touchdown. Um, and that makes such a huge difference. It always makes a difference for rushing quarterbacks. but for, like for Jalen Hurts because he gets those one-yard touchdowns. Um, it's it's a big deal. right? he doesn't necessarily pile up, you know, an eighty-yard or hundred-yard right. game. Not like just
2: like, Justin Fields, you know, especially this year where he's so so banged up. Uh, yeah. He needs those one-yard touchdowns for sure.
1: Yeah, exactly, and that adds so much to his score. I did think about it though the opposite way, where I think momentum means a lot. I it feels like Dallas and Philadelphia are in two different places, um, you know. So could Dallas be more likely to pull their guys out if they're up big in the fourth quarter, whereas the Eagles maybe want to get some positive momentum going so they leave their guys in longer <laughs> and, and you know and try to have like a, a really signature win and you know going into the playoffs, which they could potentially do against the Giants. Um, but yeah, I guess it could go either way, and it, it kind of proves the uncertainty we have in, in right, right,
2: right, right. Because I've had that thought too with, with Philly, but then it's like, well, what are their you know, if they're like, well, let's let's play everybody to get some momentum, but then it's like they just lost to the Cardinals and got stomped by the Cowboys and got stomped by the or got stomped by the Cowboys in 49ers, I and mean, they got stomped by two teams. Like, so it's like what momentum, like what's the what's the risk that you don't build momentum? You have a close game against the Giants, you know, and um as for the Cowboys, like the difference between if they lose they're falling to the five seed, right? And the Cowboys are one of the most, like, largest home road splits in football. It's the difference between a home game in the first round and in the second round versus all road games. So, I mean, I think that the Cowboys, you know, obviously if they're in a big blowout, the pull players the way they would any other game, but Dak's three best games of the year have all been big blowout wins. So, like, that one concerns me less. Um, and I also think there's a lot of, you know, there's, like, an overstated sense of, like, how much teams are going to just wholesale change in in week. 18, you know, like the giants are still going to play the exact same players that they've been playing. They're playing against the Philadelphia defense. Like I think Tyrod Taylor, like there's no risk that Tyrod Taylor is getting sat down partway through the game so they can see somebody else, you know, like the giants are going to play this game to win. Will Levis, who's like 0.3% projected owned owned. If he plays this game, he's playing the entire game. Uh, like a lot of these teams are still just going to kind of play the way we expect them to play. There's just a handful of teams that, that are kind of like in this question mark range in terms of how they will approach things.
1: Yeah, it's true. I, I always think of this week and like feeling the certainty of like, well, OK, this team, you know, just take Baltimore on Saturday. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But it's like, you know, even if you look at projections, like the starters are just not projected. And some of them we know are sitting. Some of them we don't. And yeah. we don't like we don't know what the running back situation is going to look like. Um, You know, like they have three guys like Gus Edwards, um, Justice Hill and, and Melvin Gordon. And they might call somebody up from the practice squad and that might give us like some some information there. But is it like just Gus Edwards that sits? Is it like, you know, Edwards and Hill and maybe Melvin Gordon is the main guy? When do they sit? We, we don't know. And it, it could be, you know, the second quarter or third quarter, fourth quarter. It could be not at all. Um, actually, if there's ever a week you're not going to think about a blowout at all, it's probably this week. Because, like, if Dallas runs up a huge score on Washington and they do pull their guys, they may be any one of a number of teams that's pulling their guys – in the in the fourth quarter and some of those teams it won't be because they ran up a huge score you know and they they have all the you know you know first three quarters of fantasy production that you still get in your lineup
2: so, yeah true
1: um we might we might just be hugely overthinking this in in that there's a team that has one of the best offenses going against one of the best, worst defenses um and they need the win you know we should maybe just be playing dallas in, in yeah
2: i mean i treat i treat dallas as as a as a like they're going to treat it as a had-to-have-it game. So I don't have any concerns about them whatsoever um, this week. I mean, outside of the fact that it's a divisional game and crazy things happen, I, th- I think it was week 18 last year that da- uh, Dallas needed that win against Washington for playoff seeding and lost like 36-17 to 17 or something like that. Um, CeeDee Lamb on Thanksgiving Day was like the, the clearest can't-miss piece on that slate and put up 17 DraftKings points. After a stretch of like four straight games heading into that game with – like 30 to 40 and then two games like right after that with 30 or 40. So it's like, you know, crazy things can happen, especially in divisional games. It doesn't guarantee that Dak has a big game or that CD Lamb has a big game, but we can at least feel highly confident, 100% confident that the Cowboys are going to treat this as a must-win game Um, and, and you know, play their players in that way. Like if it's close in the fourth quarter, they're not going to say, ah, it's close, let's get these guys some rest for the playoffs. They're going to be like, dude, we got to get the two seed. Like we don't want – we don't want the – five seed we don't want to go on the road for our playoff game so um yeah i mean that, that's a high confidence spot um and there, are, honestly there are a lot of those i mean like the the packers are a high confidence spot the um the seahawks are a high confidence spot in terms of like the starters playing the entirety of the game because you got these teams where it's like yeah we need help or, or the packers they need to win to make the playoffs but uh, other spots where it's like yeah we need help but but we can have to treat this as a must-win, right? Like Nick Mullins and and the Vikings, he can get benched, I guess. Partway through, like the Vikings have to treat it as a must-win because, yeah, they need help, but they got to try to win that game. Same thing with the Saints and Falcons. But none of those have the matchup that the Cowboys have and the offense that the Cowboys have. So I definitely think they're kind of the cream of the crop on this slate.
1: I was going to ask, you know, where else do you see maybe some semblance of, like, certainty or offense? And, I would, you know, if you didn't mention them, I was going to say that the Packers probably first. Um, It just feels like – like Jordan Love's actually had a pretty good season. Uh, I mean, maybe.
2: He's had stretches of like elite play. Yeah. Like, I mean, when he's on, man, he's one of the best quarterbacks in football. He's just not always on.
1: Yeah. And I think he gets underplayed a little bit. I think the Packers recently have been getting underplayed a little bit because there is uncertainty there. Um, and it's not like playing time uncertainty. Well, I mean, it's like injury uncertainty with the wide receivers. Um, they have really had like a rotating door of, of the wide receivers and I guess running backs as well, like with Aaron Jones and, and A.J. Dillon, I think I just saw right before we came on, that I think Dillon is expected to miss the game. Um, Aaron Jones expected to play. Um, and I think all of the wide receivers are still questionable. I think Green Bay and Jacksonville have been like the teams who have been waiting until Sunday morning to see who's going to play. Actually. And I think Green Bay is in a really interesting spot um, because I think people may be focusing more on like any coach speak we get about, you know, you know this guy's going to play a series or a half or whatever. And just miss the fact that, like, the information on who's playing for Green Bay is actually really important.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think it's a great shout. And, I mean, you know, the only teams with higher implied totals than the Packers are the Cowboys, the uh, Lions. That's only by a half point. Um, and the Seahawks. And that's by 1.25 points. So uh, Packers implied for 24. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, that's one of my favorite games on this slate. Because the Bears, same exact situation the Lions were in last year, but with a lot less hype in that the bears four and one across their last five games, five and two across their last last seven games. I mean, they are literally like one of the best teams in football over the last month and a half Uh, a team that if they were in the playoff hunt would be a scary team to face in the playoffs. And they don't have the same hype that the lions had last year. But like, if you're in that bears building, like you are like, you're, you're not looking at this last week. Like, Hey, what can we do to kind of look to the future? You're, you're saying, Man, let's finish this strong. Let's set the tone. Let's let's carry over into the offseason the same way the Lions did last year. Let's knock our division rivals out of the playoffs. Um, and while the Bears defense has been excellent, it's also it's an excellent defense. That's like it, it's excellent because it has a lot of rules that the players follow, you know, and so like the players are not out of position and they do what they're supposed to do. But really good offensive coordinators, what they're able to do is understand a defense's rules and say, OK, here's how we exploit those rules. And so, uh, you know, guys from the Shanahan tree more than most others are really good at exploiting rules, especially zone coverage too high, which is what Matt Iberflus does a lot of. And so, um, yeah, I mean, just a really interesting spot where I could see like Justin Fields having a huge game against the Packers defense and Jordan Love having a huge game against the, the Bears offense. This is like a 35 to 31 game. Uh, one of my favorite sort of under the radar games to stack this week is, is that. Bears Lions uh, Bears Packers game because it is like one of the most exciting real life games but also both uh, it has a wide range of outcomes it could be low scoring when when the Packers defense is on that's why people are like Packers fans are upset about the Packers defense not like oh our defense sucks it's like oh, our defense should be good with the pieces we have and yet we suck uh but if the Packers defense is is on right they can slow down the Bears the Bears defense slow, slow down the Packers but also I could flip the other way. Right. And, and it could be a really high scoring game. So I like that game a lot from a stacking perspective, wide range of outcomes. But on the high end, it's like really high end for both quarterbacks. And I think people are going to overlook that.
1: Yeah, it actually gets overlooked a little bit price wise because a lot of the players are in the midpoint of pricing. And we're going to get a lot of like attention grabbing value plays, um, especially as we get like kind con- confirmation or some apparent confirmation. About you know guys sitting. This guy's gonna play three quarters. It's like oh, this guy's like three thousand. I can you know four thousand. I can put him into my to my lineup, and now I can get CD Lamb. Um, it's a it, you know it's a difficult slate because I really do like CD Lamb, but he's the most expensive wide receiver. I'm actually I like Rashad White at running back. He's the most expensive running back, but it really does like force you into a certain kind of lineup construction that's probably going to be pretty common across. You know, it's both like FanDuel and DraftKings, um, and so it's difficult to get away from those players in particular. But I think like Rashad White and C. Lamb could end up seeing a kind of outsized ownership beyond what we're seeing in projections, just because by the time Sunday hits, it'll be so easy to get those guys into your lineups with all the perceived value. Um, It'll be difficult to get away from them. So maybe it's like a single entry thing and aim to be under, under the field in the, in the million maker or something like that. Um, But it's, it, makes it a difficult construction, a different, difficult decision point.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And to your point, like DJ Moore, like he's kind of in this below Justin Jefferson, CD Lamb type tier wide receiver too. He's not drawing ownership attention uh, since week four, his games with Justin Fields all, all round, this is DK scoring um, all round. So we don't have the decimals, but 30 points, 52 points, 23, 25, 27, nine. That was against Cleveland. that was a game where he rolled up his ankle and missed a chunk of the game and it was hobbled the rest of the game and then 34 and it's like people don't want to play him right Khalil Herbert back to back weeks Deontay Foreman has been inactive a healthy scratch Khalil Herbert's had the lead role 22 plus DraftKings points back to back week nobody wants to play him because everyone like there's so many running backs in this like high 5k to mid 6k range everyone wants to play so yeah I mean I think those guys are kind of getting lost in the shuffle I've seen Jaden Reed kind of has some uh ownership attention but Christian Watson has none like what if Christian Watson's active he can put up 35 points, you know, like DJ Moore can put up 35 points. And people just like aren't on these guys. So, I mean, I think that's a really, really interesting game. Um, if you're going to say like, obviously Dallas is the top offense, but if you can say, well, what if what if Dak doesn't put up a tournament winning game or what if CD lamb doesn't put up a tournament winning game, like build, stacking this and throwing like Brandon cooks on there is leverage off of off CD lamb is just a really interesting way to play this slate.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um- one other game you mentioned, the Seattle Arizona game, I think it's got one of the higher totals, but like, I noticed, like, you know, of the, the defenses, I think that um, both Seattle and Arizona are top three in like allowing rushing yards per game. Uh, so is there a concern with that game? Maybe that's just like a, a rushing game that's likely to hit its total, but not likely to like far exceed it, where um, we might see like big games in kind of split backfields, but no like tournament winning score.
2: Yeah. I mean, obviously you can always play the guessing game with Seattle, but if we went back like 10 years ago and you just took Seattle off of your list every single week for 10 years, like that would have been massively plus EV because they always draw ownership attention. And they so rarely, because the way Pete Carroll manages games, like they don't, all of Russell Wilson's hits, all of Geno Smith's hits have been in high scoring back and forth games and sometimes even then they don't, they don't get there. Uh, Kenneth Walker has topped 20 DraftKings points three times in his career, 29 games, three times in his career. Uh, James Connors had it three times in the last four weeks. You know what I mean? Like, and, and so, yeah, I mean, Seattle, it, this is a good spot for Seattle, but I think anytime you say like, could this be a spot where Seattle like doesn't perform to the public's expectations, the field's expectations. It's like, yeah, it's like, it's always a spot for that. So uh, this is one of the rare weeks where I would consider them, but you're you are relying on Arizona putting it together against the Seattle defense and putting it together fast enough that the points are piling up, right? So like last week, they they you had a situation where they could run and pass against Philadelphia. This week it might be more run, and so you don't get that quick scoring. And so like like you said, it could just end up being kind of a muted game environment where like Geno's putting up 225 and a touchdown or two touchdowns. Like, but that's not winning you a tournament. So uh, yeah, I could I could. I'm not, I don't want to talk down that game because there are pathways to it blowing up. But just like any Seattle game where there's ownership attention, it definitely could be a trap this week. And it's it's definitely like less attractive to me than some of these other games.
1: Yeah, I, I haven't thought about the idea of like if you just removed the team for the entire time that I've been yeah, playing.
2: Entirely, like super yeah. plus EV. like Seattle doesn't exist to use super plus EV.
1: I can think of one week they played Dallas. I, I don't know why it sticks out, but I remember it was like a 4 p.m. game. And I think they, I think you needed them that week. I think that game did exceed.
2: Oh, there's so been a few of them. As Cubs fan, one is Millie Maker stacking up uh, Texans and 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 Seahawks in in Seattle when Deshaun Watson was there. Like, I mean, there are those random weeks, but it's like big picture, it's you would make a lot more money just never playing Seattle pieces than than playing them every week, you know, or like always keeping them in consideration. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's a spot where it could hit. It's it's like that's a team that I'm always very cautious on, especially at ownership, because generally speaking, it's gonna disappoint people.
1: Uh, I, I guess we should do hot takes. Uh do you have anything for a hot take? Uh,
2: I'll go, I'll go uh Tyrod Taylor and Darren Waller will combine for 45 DraftKings points.
1: Okay. Um I think that's an an interesting call. I we've talked about it. Philadelphia's past defense, you know, they allow a bunch of receptions. It's still probably the most receptions per game in the NFL. And I think Darren Waller's been overlooked. I think Tyrod Taylor's been, like, perpetually underrated throughout his entire career. Yeah, 100%. Um, I've got a hot take. No no player reaches his contract incentives in week. <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't happen for anybody. Um, I think – Probably the most realistic is like Dalton Schultz, but I, I think he's on the Saturday slate, so maybe I'll say no player on the Sunday slate like hits his contract incentives. Um, I think the most likely is DeAndre Hopkins. He's probably got the most relevant um, uh, contract incentives. And I, I think uh, Tannehill is starting the game, though. I think Will Levis is like officially declared out. Right were we're coming on, um, so that that might hurt uh, Hopkins. <laughs> but, how
2: many does what does Hopkins need?
1: I think he needs seven receptions, which is the one that's probably the most attainable. I think he okay. needs like two touchdowns. Which, if he could get two touchdowns at will, any game, he just you know he would already have like thirty something touchdowns, right? Um, yeah. He does need like one hundred and twenty receiving yards. I think each of those might be worth like an extra two hundred and fifty thousand. They, I could see them getting him seven receptions.
2: Yeah, for next- yeah, for one hundred and twenty. Why not? No, I, uh, I somebody asked on the Winner Circle podcast this week about incentives, and I said like I don't pay super close attention that week eighteen because, like, if 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 somebody needs. 70 or 80 yards for something like they're going to get there or they're not right and if somebody and that's not going to help you in dfs and if somebody needs like 190 yards for something they're not getting there so it's like a very narrow range where it helps you what i said was like kind of in this like 110 to 140 yard range where it's like realistic and the team could try to do it so yeah i tossed toss deandre hopkins in this um but i mean you know what you know what rabel really wants to do is just beat the jags and knock them out of the playoffs so it's like uh can DeAndre Hopkins help help them get there? Yes, and and would him getting 120 yards and two touchdowns help them? Yes, uh, but you know if they shut him down, they're going elsewhere. So, uh, yeah, that's an interesting one. I, I don't mind. I don't mind that one at all.
1: Yeah, I think I think you're right. There really is a range where it has to be easy enough to obtain. It has to be <laughs> realistic. Yeah, yeah, or are, are easy to obtain because like what do what do the Jags care if they're just you know tossing a couple screen passes to DeAndre Hopkins to go nowhere? Yeah, two fifty. Right, especially if the game's out of hand, like they're gonna do that. The the like touchdown and receiving yards incentives. I've I've seen some incentives like, oh, if the team makes the playoff, like playoffs, Baker Mayfield gets a big bonus. Well, sure, like they want to. That's not really going to affect anything for DF. He
2: wants to make playoffs regardless. Yeah,
1: (laughs) yeah, like they're yeah, they're gonna try to win the game anyway. So, Um, I guess any any final thoughts on the week?
2: No, kind of a different pod than normal. We didn't get to as many positions or as many players, but I think probably more valuable on this particular week um, final thoughts is, is give some thought to that Packers and bears game. Definitely an interesting one to consider this week for, uh, for tournament stacks.
1: Okay. Yeah. I think, I think my final thought, I just want to you know, say thank you to everybody that watches the show, everybody that that listens to it, you know, podcasts um, and and give a thank you to you. Um, I, I started playing DFS in like 2015 and you were writing the long form NFL article for rotor grinders. Um, I now work for Order Grinders. I won a you know the solo Milly this year. Um, you know, it's it's been an amazing year and it still amazes me that we get a couple thousand people to like listen to the show yeah. every week and like hear me get lessons from you. Um uh, so you know, thank you to you. Thank it's, you. It's,
2: it's funny the the like you're an OG but you came in like a year after me. So I'm more, more OG. That's how I feel with like CSU Ram or Al Smizzle where like they came in like a year or two before me. So they're like real OGs to me. (laughs) But um, And I'm like, Oh yeah, no, no. I came in after those guys, but uh, yeah, we're in that OG class at this point, but like different tiers of the OG class to each other. So yeah, I mean, so fun to do this, this show. I remember uh, uh, Cal Spears texted us. I think it was earlier this year that he said it was like his favorite, favorite listen every week was to tune into the show. So um, super fun to be able to do this and and do stuff with you guys at the Rotor Grinders and um, hang out with you on the show. And, and same thing, like learn from you and get sharper at DFS. So uh, yeah, I guess that's a better final thought than what I had is um, thanks to all you listeners. And 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 thanks to you, John, for hanging out. It's fun to do the show. Glad we get to do it.
1: Yeah, thanks. Uh, and hopefully, you know, that'll do it for, for week 18 of Ship. Um, I guess so that'll do it for the 2023-2024 season. Uh, good luck this week to everybody and hope to see you guys next season.